Hello and welcome to Secondhand Film Critics, your favorite source for mildly pretentious, semi-uneducated, and highly unqualified opinions on movies. I'm Noah, and I'm here with... Kayla. We <laughs> thought you got rid of us for a week, but we're back for a bonus episode. See, I told, I said at the end of last episode that sometimes we post stuff um, on a Monday where we're not supposed to have an episode. You never know. Things times. happen. Things come yeah. up and something came up. So <laughs> we have a bonus yeah. episode. Yeah, and this is a fun one. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about some documentaries before going into a specific documentarian who will be interviewing to, uh, in the second half of this episode. So stick around for that. Yeah. She is very cool. I mean, first, you already know who it is because it's in the title, title of the yeah, episode. Yeah, it's in the title of the episode. But, you know, we'll We'll, we'll keep build the, the suspense. suspense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're both fans of documentaries. Yeah, I would say so. I would say I'm a fan of specific documentaries. I think documentaries have the power to be even more powerful than, like, a narrative feature because it's, like, obviously the... The way the medium works is real life. You can inject your own thoughts about it into the film, but also it's like another layer when you realize that this isn't something that is to be interpreted in the same kind of way as a narrative feature because it is actually stuff that happens or did happen on camera. And that leads to a lot of interesting things that wouldn't be possible in a narrative feature because like you're capturing people on camera that aren't in some cases weren't prepared to be captured on camera or like aren't they're not like actors so they don't have a script it's just a completely different medium and you can get so many different so many different things from the documentary format that you can't get in the narrative format yeah i'm a big fan of documentaries yeah um, you're probably bigger than a bigger fan than me yeah like, i'm still them. a huge fan but you watch documentaries a lot yeah i really like them I would like to make one too. Do you wanna? Do you wanna give us the elevator pitch of the one that you've been thinking wanting to no. make? No. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Well, why don't you throw out some of your favorite like documentaries watched recently or you watched a while ago and you kind of keep coming back to? I mean, documentaries are hard for re rewatches for me, but maybe I don't know. Yeah, it depends on the documentary. Yeah, there's a couple I could rewatch. We bring up a few main ones all the time, which are Minding the Gap and yes. um, <laughs> your Beatles one, Eight Days a Week. Eight Days whatever, a Week. Uh, ah. Which we, we both love those. I really, one of my favorites is Paris is Burning. Mm, I've been um, meaning to watch yeah, that. Yeah, which I don't think you've seen yet. I recently I got haven't. the new like Criterion edition of it. Also recently watched The Times of Harvey Milk which mm. I really liked too. That was also a Criterion pickup. I bought that blind. Usually when I like, because mm. Criterions are more expensive. Expensive, right. I won't buy something unless I've seen it already and like know I want it in my collection. But I was like, you know what? Right. I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to buy this movie blind. And I liked it. So there you go. It was a win. Wow, that's, that's fun. It's kind of fun like, like when you're looking back on it it feels more fun because like when you're blind buying and it feels like you're kind of trying to discover like a treasure but it also sucks if you end up watching it and you don't like it but it's cool when you end up do liking it because then it feels like you uh went on like a little treasure hunt but if you don't like it then it feels like you wasted money but right. that's good that you did 
I like lots of different documentaries. I definitely lean more towards like the music documentaries. Like I love the three hour something George Harrison documentary. Oh, I started that and then never finished it. That one's just such a chill one. But another kind of music documentary I've been really liking recently is the more like concert documentary one like that style so i watched in quarantine i watched uh, give me shelter which is the rolling stones one yeah the monterey pop festival one was really good and i started watching the bob dylan one don't look back which has been really good so just and those are really good ones to watch now too because you don't have to give it your full attention you can enjoy the music about you can enjoy like you can enjoy the visuals but it's not like it's um interview style and you've got to watch for all like the twists and turns of how like the narrative that they're trying to weave in with these interviews is going so those are ones that i've grown to like even more in this quarantine time where sometimes like you don't want to watch something that you have to give your entire brain to you want to kind of chill out at a concert which i mean we can't go to concerts right now so it's really the only way that we're getting the concert experience you know what uh concert documentary was just announced oh the ben Platt not one? ben platts okay <laughs> though i am very excited for ben platts i'm not gonna lie uh no it was just announced today was the jonas brothers concert oh experience because last year when they dropped the album they released the documentary about getting back together yeah, chasing happiness. It was all right. It was all right. So now they're doing their con- releasing their concert documentary through Amazon Prime, and it's called <laughs> Happiness Can- Continues. <laughs> <laughs> happiness continues. How yes. funny! No, I like music documentaries too. I think I watch a lot of, um, or I've tried to watch a lot of like photo documentaries as well. Uh, mm. So there's a lot of like different photographers, their documentaries or documentaries about their work. And then I've watched, surprisingly, I'm looking at my like I genres, genre short mm-hmm. sorted yeah, my letterbox. I watch a lot of fashion documentaries too on like different fashion designers. That's the thing that's about documentaries too is that there's so many different kinds and they like there's one for every subject that you might be interested in you know yeah because i'm looking Um, at my list and there's a couple that are like like either ones i watched because they were oscar nominations or ones that i watched because they were trending or big like the fire festival documentaries yeah yeah i watched that one um but but all the other ones apart from those are really all just things that i enjoy or like hmm. and want to watch something about or learn something about a certain subject. Yeah, yeah. I've been kind of with that too in this quarantine where sometimes I maybe am wanting to rewatch one of my favorite films or a film that I like, but maybe I don't have time even. And especially with the Criterion channel and if I have you have a physical collection, a lot of those releases have like 50-minute, 70-minute like quote-unquote documentaries about the making of the film yeah and those are sometimes really interesting to watch too because they're a way of learning about the film you love in like a different way so kind of like you said there's so many documentaries to learn about so many different things in it like if you're interested in this then there's probably a documentary about it yeah which is really cool it's a cool genre which we haven't talked about until now yeah 
Another one I'll shout out too that I think you would really like is Portrait of Jason by Shirley Clark. I watched that one. And that one's really interesting. I just love the interview style of it and how it's really just it's just you listening to this guy telling stories about his life and it's but the way the stories unfold as the documentary goes on it it's just really interesting and it's a kind of documentary documentary that like we don't see a lot today a lot of documentaries today are like either found footage or they have like these um huge expansive look at the their topic by going to all these different locations and interviewing these people and this one is just in his house in the house interviewing him and just like the camera is just on him watching him uh tell these stories and also the cinematography is really cool it's pretty uh like experimental which is always i like when documentaries are a little more experimental with that and a little more artistic in their production rather than just like here's a camera and point it at the person and there you go yeah well Um, we have two specific documentaries uh by the same filmmaker that we're going to talk about today briefly um the first one is wait i want to make sure i get the name right the prison Prison in 12 landscapes yeah the prison in 12 landscapes which came out in 2016 uh and the second one is the hottest august which came out last year but is getting a release right now with everything going on um we watched it through virtual screening through my like art house film club yeah it's going around like the virtual cinema stuff yeah It's also available online uh, for other people to stream as well. And I believe PBS was screening it. And also the the Prison in 12 Landscapes is readily available. It's on Canopy. And also I think Vimeo it might be on right now, I think. Yeah. That one's pretty. We'll we'll put the websites um, in our description if you want to go watch them, which you should. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. They were good. Like they were real. It, do you want to t- say the name of the the person where? Yeah, who Brett. Them? Brett so Story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, and we're interviewing her in a little bit, so you can listen to that. But these these documentaries were really interesting. The first one is um, Prison in Twelve Landscapes, obviously that came out three years before. And do you want to kind of? I mean, I know you don't have a synopsis on you, but like explain what that one was about. Um. So it basically is about the prison system it's not like filmed in a prison or not you're not seeing actual prisons in this it's sort of going through different locations in the united states uh where prisons are either affecting kind of the town or the area there's some like people that she talks to or has interviews with who were previously incarcerated or from kind of minority people groups who talked about different ways that they've been kind of misjudged or mm. or treated differently. I thought this was pretty cool because I I worked for a nonprofit prison organization and learned a lot about the prison system, like stuff mm. that the general population just doesn't know goes on in prisons. Yeah. Um and there was a specific story in this where well there were two that stood out to me one is uh the guy who he runs this company basically that gets the right kind of products that people can send into prisons because there's all these rules and regulations 
uh, about what you can send, you know, your family members or, or someone you know in prison. And he runs this company that gets the things in advance and you can purchase them from them and they'll send the packages out. Um, and that is something that it, it's really, really crazy when you look into kind of the way the prison system works in the way they kind of prey on families, I guess, mm. that are already in poor situations, losing like a caregiver and then have to deal with spending extra money just to talk to them on the phone or send them money. And I think that all that being said, Brett tells tells you these things without like showing you all the infographs and spreadsheets mm. of numbers and percentages and whatever. Even though she knows all these things, she tells you these things through people that are impacted by it directly which I think is important in a documentary. Yeah, I think um, one of the greatest strengths of the documentary and also something that carries into her other one, The Hottest August, is how, like you said, it focuses on the people impacted by the prison system as opposed to like actual prisoners that are incarcerated. And how that works so well is because the people watching it are are people like the people being interviewed, you know what I mean? It makes it a lot more relatable to the viewer, and it's also like a point of view that they can kind of connect with, as opposed to like a person that's been incarcerated for 25 years. Not that they're like interviewing them isn't a valid way to give a, give the information across to the audience, but it's just a fresher look that not many people uh, go for. And especially how it's yeah. throughout the United States and not just specifically in one area. So you see lots of different type, yeah, types. Yeah, and really like varying uh like situations too. Like there's one that's about like chess players who mm-hmm. were previously incarcerated and then one that was like about uh firefighters who are used uh which happens a lot when there's wildfires uh is certain prisoners are trained um right. to fight fires so they they're firefighters and so like very different well (laughs) 12 landscapes they're very different landscapes there are 12 uh but yeah the hottest august is is told in the same fashion i feel like where like it's structured and has this purpose and this goal but it's also told in a very relaxed sort of way there's a lot of kind of static shots that let you breathe in certain moments I feel like so like you're getting this information and then they're kind of showing you you know the people or the beaches Mm. or the towns and you're kind of like processing as you're setting the scene I guess that's how I feel like it's a very relaxed documentary in that way both of them and yeah they're both not linear at all and they kind of weave in and out of the, and especially the Hottest August weaves in and out of these separate stories that she kind of connects together in, in not in a specific way. Like she doesn't like say this goes here and this goes here. You're just kind of meant to kind of take in what she's showing you and figure it out on your own, which I think is uh, positive in that it shows a respect for the audience rather than a documentary that might, like you said, shove spreadsheets in your face or like oh this is exactly how this is like tell you to tell it to your face it's very much more 
open to interpretation while still obviously having a very clear message. Well, and also one thing that's so unique about it, in my opinion, is that a lot of documentaries include like interviews with experts and doctors and Mm. all these people who understand the subject whether it's climate change or prison system uh from like very educated perspectives but in both of these she's not interviewing those kind of people like she's interviewing you know the people who are being directly impacted um, or the people who are experiencing or have the, you know, the kind of fear of the future that's referenced in the hottest August. But I think that's cool because a lot of educational or social documentaries include interviews from people right. when it's kind of like more down to earth, I guess. That's why it feels no, more down yeah. to earth and personable. And that's when like other documentaries might kind of lose me because they get so caught up in the numbers and like all this more scientific or like intellectual language where and as in like these kind of documentaries it's a lot more easy to relate to what the what the people being interviewed are saying because it's like either you know those kind of people or you are one of those kind of people and it makes um for a much more nuanced film and especially in the case of the hottest august which i don't know if we said directly but it talks about uh climate change it's basically a film about climate change and it's such a easy topic i feel like that she could have just brought out all these statistics or facts like oh yeah x amount of years or this amount of um melting of the polarized caps i don't know it's like yeah it's which she a... does talk about in the interview as well so you can hear that yeah. directly from her but yeah you're exactly you're, you're right but it's like we have so many of those kind of documentaries or so many of those kind of like pieces where it's refreshing to see one told a little more in an, in an open-ended way and also in an artistic way because these are very beautiful, both very be- beautiful films, beautifully shot and like edited together. Yeah, they're, you can tell how, well, tell and not tell, but like if you if you study it or like while you're watching it, you can tell how intentional kind of the editing was, but like you can also like if you were to just watch it and not think about it, you would just be like pulled into it as well. Right. It's obviously intentional, but it it feels organic when you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. the cinematography is great. It's beautiful. Definitely check it out just for that reason alone. It just looks so nice. And it's really impressive, too, just because a lot of it was like spontaneous I mean, obviously, you know, they can pick and choose from what they have or pick certain areas or pick whatever they're going to film. But it's like you can't choose what people are going to do. Exactly. So I think it's just really cool that obviously, I mean, a very small crew, but how talented the group is she put together. And how, like, I guess, I don't know if visionary is the right word, but how, like, visionary she is and how articulate she is in in the way that she tells stories yeah and i'm really looking forward to our audience getting to hear from her directly in this upcoming interview where she kind of gets we she gets into more of these ideas in a much more coherent and (laughs) um, educated way than we might so 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll cut to an ad, and then we'll be back with the interview. And we're back. So we've already briefly talked about who Brett is, but we can give a short introduction. She's awesome. She was very cool when we talked to her, like, for our first real, like, official interview. Right, yeah. Because we've had guests on, but this is, like, an official interview, which she was very kind and nice and smart. Uh, But she is... A storyteller, so she's a writer and obviously a nonfiction uh, filmmaker of documentaries. She's won a couple awards, I think. Mm. Couldn't tell you what they are off the top of my head, but I know that she's won awards for. She won the Secondhand Film Award. Yeah, she won uh, our award yeah. for coolest interviewee. Hey, we didn't give a Best Documentary of 2019 award, so we could just give it to her. We'll give it to Hottest August. Yeah, right now. She just got our secondhand film award from our annual secondhand film awards. She has a PhD in geography, and she's also a teacher, and she's also a mom. So basically, she's like the most badass person to exist, in my opinion. Basically, she's winning, and we're all doing like, 10% 10% of what she's doing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, enjoy this interview. Uh, yep. It's a good yeah. one. With documentarian Brett Story. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Oh, no problem. I'm stuck at home like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how that is. We actually watched both of your films. Um, I watched oh. your prison one yesterday. I think Noah watched it, like, last week. We love them both, by the way, so. Oh, thank you. That's always great to hear. Uh, so we had a couple questions. Um, so our first question, uh, is kind of what got you into making documentaries in the first place? because uh, obviously with filmmaking, documentaries is kind of a more specific category than, like, a bigger, broader narrative features category. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, so I was always a kind of visual person um, and artistic. You know, I painted um, and took photographs in high school. But I wasn't, you know, I I wasn't into film so much, mainly because I lived in a town that didn't even have a movie theater. Um, But when I got to college, I also started making radio because I was really interested in journalism and connected with a community radio station that was all volunteer run. And I started making radio documentaries. And I think that's when I first started thinking about how documentary film in particular could bring, you know, everything that I was excited about in long form radio together with my just interest and creative excitement about visual, um, visual imagery and um, sort of, you know, uh, ways of seeing the world and seeing the world differently. So I've always been a kind of um, political person and a a person kind of like anthropologically minded, sociologically minded, really interested in how the world is and um, found that 
I was interested in journalism because it was this way to explore the world and kind of investigate questions in the world around me, but I didn't find the form creative enough. So I, I feel like I kind of came to documentary film out of this interest in in exploring critically the world around me with uh, an artistic excitement about um, how sounds and images can produce new ways of feeling and thinking about um, our lives. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's awesome. It was very fortuitous. Yep. Also was surrounded by musicians and couldn't make music and so was searching for another art form that kind of had this, this sort of way of um, working collaboratively and and uh, almost rhythmically. So I like to think that that films can be kind of um, musical in, in some sense as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would agree. So I noticed that both of your films, so The Prison and Twelve Landscapes, as well as The Hottest August, uh, they approach the respective subject in like a vignette style. Do you go into the making of your films with this approach in mind, or does it kind of come about more organically? Yeah, I mean, a little bit both. So definitely I feel like in my films, um, I try and find a form for the film or a structure for the film that that relates in some way to the themes being explored. Um, so I never, I, I don't feel like I have a particular structure that I always work with. Um, but I do, um, I do really like the associative nature of filmmaking. I mean, there's something about editing in particular, like the whole language of film is, is in the cut, you know, placing two images, two scenes beside each other and making some sense of a whole. And for me, you know, it's not so much vignette structure as it is sort of playing with, um, how, how, like associations um, can bring about new meanings, and so um, yeah, I've never been. I'm not a. I'm, I'm. I'm really inspired by experimental film in particular. So I've never really been a person who was inclined to make kind of straightforward narrative arc or, or like plot driven films. Um, maybe it's why I don't. I also don't make fiction. Um, so my my films are always going to be um, kind of non linear. Um, and I, I just sort of, I, I like the idea of making something that has direction and a point of view and takes people on a journey, but is also kind of open-ended and um, oblique in moments so that audiences can find room to have to do some work and bring their imagination to bear on what they're seeing. Um, and I feel like there's something about the vignette structure or the associative structure of moving from one kind of glimpse to another, one scene to another that lends itself to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so... The tagline for The Hottest August is a film about climate change disguised as a portrait of collective anxiety. And I know you've said before, too, uh, it has to do with the question of, like, what do people do with fear when they feel like they don't have power? So I was wondering yeah. if you could un unpack that a little bit. It doesn't have to be too uh, complicated because sure. I know that question can kind of get a lot deeper. It's yeah, yeah, it's sort of, in some ways, sort of abstract, but, you know, the film came, started from, from pretty kind of humble beginnings. It was really just me noticing that I was 
you know, feeling like the future wasn't going to exist. And I think that that's one of the connections to the, the, between the film and this sort of collective thing that we're all facing right now. It's like, what, what does it feel like to wake up every morning and just feel like kind of bad, kind of bad about the state of the world? Like, and you know, not just in a kind of like personal, oh no, these shitty things are happening in my life, but, but in this way that feels like, actually it's the point of connection between us and everybody else. And I do feel like that's really particular. I mean, there've been other moments in history, of course, when you lived through a world war or when you lived through, you know, a cold war standoff or something else, but there's something so, I mean, obviously planetary and universal about um, the climate crisis that we're facing that I, I, I really, you know, I suspected that this sort of, dread about the future was something that wasn't just particular to me, but was um, connecting me to other people. And that's, you know, another big part of my projects is I'm, I'm always really interested, not just in individuals and their lives, but how individuals and in their lives, living their lives, um, are always part of a kind of social fabric. How do we connect together as communities and as society and um, as, as towns and as cities? And, um, yeah, so I, I was interested also in thinking about what what are the different kinds of climate change films that we might need right now. It feels like there's a lot of climate change films that are just, they have a sameness about them. They, they, um, they're they there to tell you that climate change is real or that there are environmental problems that should be taken seriously. And I kind of, I, I was interested in, in kind of flipping that and saying like, what if we talked about human beings um, dealing with, like daily issues about, you know, worrying about their kids and trying to get to work on time and not being able to pay the rent. Like that's part of the climate too. That's a kind of social climate. Um, so yeah, I, I think this idea of, of it being on the one hand, sort of being a climate change film, but really not a recognizable one, one that's kind of disguised was really, um, important to me. I wanted to, I wanted to, have this tagline that told you, oh, you're watching a climate change film, and then kind of confuse the audience for a moment as they thought, like, I don't I don't understand how this is a climate change film. I I'm not getting any information here. I'm not seeing images of, of starving polar bears. And to suggest, <laughs> hey, this question of, like, how people are doing, you know, how are we handling yeah. it? How are we relating to our neighbors? Who who are we scapegoating? You know, what um, what what does this sort of question about, like, increased hostility towards immigrants have to do with the climate crisis. And I wanted to put these things that we're grappling with and that are the source of anxieties and also um, ex kind of expressions of our anxieties together. And that's kind of what I mean by, by disguised as a portrait of collective anxiety. It's really a portrait of people like just dealing with how hard it is to be alive right now. And then to ask, okay, what are people doing and how are they explaining and telling stories to themselves or believing stories that were told by politicians about um, the sources of those anxieties and how can we put that within this broader kind of genre of the, of, of, of like art produced in the age of, of the climate crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, kind of just add a little comment there I definitely got that and I think that was one of the strongest attributes of the film was that it was overall a climate change documentary like you said but it made it more relatable to other people watching because you're interviewing these people that are just like them or they know these people like this in their lives and it really mm -hmm. kind of puts it in perspective rather than 
something that maybe feels a little more like they can't relate to. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, it was all, it's also the same in my previous film, Prison in Twelve Landscapes. Is that you know, it, there's there's a way in which if you if you if you tell people that something you know this problem that you're exploring is something other than them, is this something that's separate from them? Like climate change is this thing that's happening to the coral reefs and to the ice caps and to the polar bears, or prisons are these buildings that just um, you know, uh, where other people um, are incarcerated and have nothing to do with us, then it's easier to, for all of us to just sort of dismiss that and think, okay, that has nothing to do with our lives. And I feel like in both projects, my goal was really to say, no, like in the, the relationship might not always be obvious or even direct, but we're all implicated in different ways in these, in the way in which power is organized um, and the kind of, different kinds of crises and, and social problems that, um, you know, that, that, uh, that are going on around us. And so, yeah, I wanted to make a film that was on climate change that was relatable that said like, Hey, you know, you worrying about your rent is not, is, is not, um, a distraction. It's part of the same, a same set of questions about, um, you know, how, how power is organized in society and um, how money is allocated and why it's so hard to, you know, really the sort of fundamental question of the, the film is like, why is it so hard for us to, um, to collectively deal with this problem that is um, going to, you know, that is, that's producing extinction on a mass scale and that threatens our own survival. Like you'd think that we'd all be like, Oh my God, our survival is at stake. Let's get on this. Um, and yet it's really, really hard. And I wanted to sort of take a generous approach to thinking about, um, why that, why it is so hard. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it like that. So it's cool to hear it because you hear about climate change all the time. So it's like interesting to look at different perspectives of it. Yeah. You know, I also wanted to get away from the idea of, you know, it's just about experts having to tell us ordinary people something. No, we're all experts. and We're all feeling, you know, the changes in the world in various ways, um, even from the vantage of our own homes and our own neighborhoods. Yeah, now more than ever, too, with everything else going on. It yeah. just is like a landslide of feelings and emotions. So, taking it off of kind of the theme and more into a technical aspect, uh, between both of your films, uh, I know you had different cinematographers for both films, mm -hmm. but they have a pretty consistent, like, color palette and framing style. Um, so I was curious mm -hmm. how much, like, involvement you have in kind of deciding the framing and coloring of shots, either through, like, editing or through the actual, like, production of it. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm very involved. This is, these are small productions, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. So a, a given shoot is like me and a cinematographer and a sound person. Um, in the hottest August, we also had a producer, but it was never more than four people at a time. So I'm collaborating with my cinematographers very carefully. And, you know, I have a kind of vision for how I want things to look. Like, I, I give them some autonomy as well. I worked with really talented people. And, I, and you know, when I'm choosing a cinematographer, I'm choosing someone who who kind of speaks a similar um, visual language to me. So, you know, I, I, I really like a long take. I like a wide frame. I'm especially interested in images that let you kind of look um, and see a lot and see sort of deeper the more you look. So that's part of why I like the wide frame. It's like, 
you know, there's once you start stop looking at the main thing, your your eye has a chance to move around and meander and take in all the details. And I feel like the details are just as important as the kind of main action. Um, and yeah, and aesthetically, like I'm just really fond of a kind of really clean, clean image, especially because I'm exploring kind of big questions, right? And asking people to do a lot of a lot of work. So I like I like um, still images, usually composed on on a tripod, wide shot, and a kind of soft color palette. Really, you know, firmly declaring that this film is, um, you know. Among other things, it's also a piece of art. It's not just a work of journalism. It's not just a work of like reality television, but it's it's art, and it's you know we we can and should delight in the fact that the world is beautiful as well as strange and as well as horrific. Yeah, that's that's cool. I feel like, but with both movies, I kept like <laughs> screen capping stuff because I like taking like screenshots of. Uh, like frames I like and stuff and save it in like a little folder on my computer and I think with both films there was like six or seven frames at least and I was like I should probably oh, just like awesome. stop screenshotting the whole movie and just watch it <laughs> I'd, be ha- I'd be happy to send you some some uh, screenshots too that we use as stills but it's true I actually have a number of friends who are filmmakers and I've asked them to print stills from their from their films and I print them and I hang them up as art objects in my my house yeah that's so cool yeah they'd be really beautiful yeah i definitely i definitely could tell that while i was watching both films that there was a lot of care and thought being put into the shots and the framing rather than like you said just like another piece of journalism it would definitely had an artistic quality which i really appreciated great thank you so i guess uh we'll wrap up here just kind of asking a general question like what's next for you are you working on anything now or are you kind of just taking a bit of a break with all of this quarantine business going on right now uh i mean a little bit of both to be honest um so i have a one-year-old and that uh and a full-time job i teach at a university and i and i've I have a one-year-old who was, of course, not going to daycare right now, so that keeps me pretty busy. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely sort of working from my, you know, from my house on new projects, and I tend to make kind of research-intensive work, anyways. I like to research my my topics a lot beforehand, and um, I'm I've started working on an all archival film, which I think is will be a useful way to work during a pandemic um, about the, the life of the art critic, John Berger, um, which, uh, I don't know, you know, it's about, like all of my films, it's about many things, but I think it's sort of fundamentally about the question of what the purpose of art even is, but through the life of this this radical and really interesting art critic. Hmm, John that's Berger. awesome. That sounds so cool. Thanks. Well, we'll see. You know, all of my films are experiments at the beginning, and that means I have to give myself permission to fail. Um, exactly. Uh, but but it's fun to fun to be at the beginning and to feel like there's a lot of possibility. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Berger's cool too. So cool. He has an essay that inf- that influenced the hottest August, which is this essay called "Why Look at Animals." <laughs> okay. I encourage people to read. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun to chat yeah thanks for uh being willing to talk with us yeah all right (laughs) and here we are again back back in action to close us off here 
Thanks yeah. for listening to this special bonus episode. That was a little bit different than our normal structure of an episode. Yeah. It was a little laid back, a little conversational, but also obviously in the middle had a very um, intellectual interview that not that we participated. We didn't really add any of the intellectual meat to it, but you know, <laughs> we were there. Uh, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that and let us know if you'd like to see more of that kind of this kind of content where we interview uh, filmmakers or people that are kind of more in the film uh, world. We'll still be back next week for the episode, the Fincher episode, where we rank all of David Fincher's films. So you can still look forward to that one. And you can follow us on social media at Secondhand Film on Twitter, at Secondhand Film Pod on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you feel you like You can. Well, exactly. thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Kayla. And I'm Noah. And, and we're, we're your, your second-hand, secondhand film, film critics. critics. <laughs>